scripture that hopefully you'll see that many elements of her faith journey are also very similar to things that you walk through. And I pray that you'll get some good application from today. So let's start. Um, I'm going to pray actually again. <laughs> Pastor Conrad does this and I'll do the same thing now. <laughs> I'm going to pray and we'll dive into scripture. Just ask God to bless this. Father, um, take your word today and write it on your people's hearts, God. Uh, speak clearly through the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. First, we'll be looking at Luke 1, and we'll be spending quite a bit of time in this kind of section of scriptures, you would imagine. Uh, Luke 1.26 is where we'll be starting today. Uh, I'll have most of it on the screen if that's helpful for you. Starting in Luke 1.26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. You know, obviously we probably all have read this text in the last few weeks as we celebrated Christmas. And the angel comes to her and he says something like this. He says, You are favored. And that may incline towards maybe some of the previous videos and stuff that I've showed you. That there's some uniqueness about Mary. But the word behind favored that's translated into English is used at another place also in Scripture. And it's used in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 when it says this, talking about Jesus. Jesus uh, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So the word that we see favored, talking about Mary in Luke 1, is the word here that's translate blessed. It's literally the same word in the original language. And what the angel is telling Mary is this, that not because of any distinct value, I mean, obviously we know this scripture is talking about us if we are in Christ, that you are blessed. It's not because she's unique, it's because God has chosen to bestow upon us, according to this verse, and in Luke, Upon Mary, favor, undeserved favor. And if Christ is working in our lives, that is true. Amen? Amen. Amen. We continue in Luke 1.29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting it might be. Mary's young at this point, okay? And what she is, she's trying to reason. She's trying to ponder. She's thinking, what am I experiencing? Have you ever been in that place in life? I'm going to read to you for a moment from the Old Testament, and this is from Deuteronomy, and this is the instructions for the fathers and the mothers in the households. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently the Lord's laws and commands to your children, and shall talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. See, Mary's a young Jewish lady who grew up in a household that I believe faithfully executed this commandment. See, I love the picture here. It's not like we just do church on Sunday, we brought our kids into a building, we've done enough job. That's not what this is saying. It's, it's funny. The kids may not even know what's going on if it's done well. It's all the things of life we incorporate the gospel into. Literally, when we're laying down at bed, we're having discussions about the gospel. When we encounter a situation at Walmart, we're having discussions about the gospel. It's so interwoven with the normal experiences of our life, the kids don't even, they don't even know it. They wake up a few years later, discipled, and have no clue it even happened if it's done well. And Mary was from a culture like that. And so what she does, 
is I believe she begins to use all these moments that she's been taught by her parents to reference what she is experiencing. She is discerning. And what she's doing is she's filtering her current circumstances through the scriptural knowledge that she has. And I would just plead with you for a second. Parents, how important is the job we're doing? Now, if you're a teacher here and you're teaching Sunday school, you are doing a great job. But parents, it is our responsibility to live this out. Amen? Amen. And I would simply tell you this. God calls our kids just like he did Mary. And God wants to work in their lives. Please be sure that they have the ability to discern his leading. Amen? All right. If we continue Luke 1, 30 through 33, Mary is told she's going to have a baby. Obviously, Mary wants to know a little bit more about how that's going to happen. So we pick up at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And we continue in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. That's a pretty awesome thought. For nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it, be, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. You know, if you look to that first verse, the last thing is, the child will be called holy. Literally set apart by God for God. This is God's plan, but Mary is not called holy. She's simply a vessel that will carry out his plan. And I love verse 38. What does Mary call herself? Let's get this interactive, keep you awake. A servant. The word literally is bond servant. One that devotes themselves to someone else regardless of their own interest. See, Mary clearly heard the voice of God, the command of God, and then with a complete disregard for her plans. I want to pause there for a moment. I'm not a girl. We made it really far today, haven't we? (laughs) But I have a couple of them in my house. And they literally came out of the womb with a castle And talking about the future and their plans and their wedding and all these incredible things, right? And the boys. (laughs) Amen, Pastor Conrad. He's a little closer maybe than I am. (laughs) Um, She had plans, guys. Obviously, she's already engaged. She's got a future that she could imagine and has created. And in one instant, Hearing God speak, she says, change everything. I'm your servant. That's a pretty profound moment. You know that? Oh, that we would respond in faith like the young Mary does. She heard God called her to a specific task, and she was willing to do that. Uh, In Luke 1, 39 through 45, Mary visits Elizabeth. I'm sure you've heard that story. And their babies have a praise fest (laughs) while they're in the womb. Just a side note. Um, Let you go with that as far as you want to. Uh, And then I love it. We pick up back in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Sounds like every song we just sung at Christmas, right? He who is mighty has done great things. My soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, We should be singing scripture. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't miss it. She's rejoicing in a Savior. Those who need a Savior are sinners. She gets that. She's humble. She's meek. She sees God's calling as a blessing, not some kind of inherited right because of her status. It's a beautiful thing that she's experiencing, and she just exhorts the Lord in praise. Amen? Oh, that praise would flow out of us that naturally, not have to be provoked. Amen? If we turned on Luke 2, and I'll skip through some of this for the sake of time. 2, 1 through 7 tells of the actual birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 8 through 21 tells about the shepherds and the angels, uh, which we heard last Sunday night if you were here. Luke 2, 22, Mary goes to the temple for purification. Commandment in Leviticus, after you've given birth, you must offer sacrifices for sin. And without getting all the theological nuance of that, she's offering purification for her, for her sin. She's following under the law as she should as a person who was rightfully under the demands of the law. And I love this next part, and this is probably the, the least talked about Christmas part of the verse. But Simeon sees the child, and we'll pick up in verse uh, Luke 2, 28. And he, Simeon, took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace because he had a promise that he wouldn't die until he saw the coming Messiah. Mm. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. We continue in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled, Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul, for that thought, for the that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I always imagine this scene. You guys watch Lion King? Yes. <laughs> some of you, some of you not. Rafiki, right? Grab Simba and raise him up. You guys don't know it. I've got a video for you. Okay, kind of like this. Oh, wait a minute. Cheyenne, I think we got the wrong clip there, Cheyenne. (laughs) That is not how the real movie goes. That'd be a quick movie. (laughs) Just shows the baby off. Okay, doesn't drop the baby. That's bad. That's what Patrick does. Not. (laughs) Just kidding. Patrick has not dropped his baby, I don't think. (laughs) Matthew Henry says this. How poor does this world look to the one that has Christ in his arms and salvation in his view? That's what Simeon's got, right? He sees salvation. He is tasting it. Let me die now. Amen. But I love what it says about Mary and Joseph. It says they marveled. 
And why do you marvel? Because something is beyond your understanding. You know, Mary and Joseph are common people of faith. And they're on this journey. She had heard angels. He had heard angels too. But still, they're walking through a process of gaining understanding of all the things that they're experiencing. They're not some omniscient demigods that they've kind of been created to be. They are similar to you and I. And I don't know about you, but there's some times it takes me to figure out a few things in life, especially concerning faith, right? But probably the most profound thing in that text was this. Uh, Simeon says that a sword will pierce through your own soul. And that means that Mary is going to feel pain because of the course of her son's life. Um, I do believe that pain uh, will be at least twofold. Uh, these are the two things that I got. The first one is really quite probably the most obvious is that she's going to see her son die before her eyes. And uh, any parent that has outlived their child, uh, that pain is real. Um, and we will not try to minimalize that today. Uh, and I pray that God will continue to hold you near. Um, Mary's also going to experience that pain. She will lose her son. But the other sword I believe that she's going to feel was maybe not quite as obvious uh, to me as I first began to read this text. But I think this is the other thing, is she's also going to lose something else over the course of Jesus' life. She's going to lose her mother role too. And, and not like in the sense that like, you know, Anselm now has a little mustache and in a few years he'll kind of fly away and he won't treat us the exact same uh, uh, as he does right now. That, that's one losing of your son, right? Which some of us have experienced. Uh, but she's going to have to have the entire relationship with her son redefined. Because it's really, really hard for your son to be your savior. And so what we're going to see as we look through scripture, one of the other swords I believe that's going to be piercing her is the fact that she's going to lose that role. And that's going to be a, a, a sword that she feels. So what we're trying to do is walk through the course of Scripture about what it says about Mary. And if we keep going forward, um, the Scripture actually jumps forward quite a few years in his life uh, in Luke 2.41. They return to the temple. Mary and Joseph leave there not knowing that they've left Jesus behind. Declan, how does that make you feel? <laughs> we accidentally left. We lost Declan one time, okay? And uh, eventually I'll have to pay for a therapist for that, I'm sure. Uh, but he did, the funny thing is he didn't even know he was lost. Uh, we were at a carnival, and he just kind of disappeared and started riding other rides, and we were frantic, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, I'm at the front door with my, my, my handgun in my pocket going, when guy walks out of here with Declan, he's done, you know. <laughs> Heather's getting every police officer trying to find him, and he comes up with this lady, and she's like, is this the son you're looking for? So he was over here riding rides. <laughs> oh, That's a heart attack moment, but I haven't lost Jesus. <laughs> Um, I would imagine that's pretty weighty, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. You lose something because we're sinful and we don't see everything, right? We make mistakes. That's what they've done here. They're fallen human beings that realize they've just lost the Son of God, which is uh, a little bit weighty. And if we pick up in the story, uh, Luke 2, 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, Jesus, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding of the answers and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us? <laughs> kind of like that, I imagine. 
Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You can imagine those veins coming out, right? Verse 49. And he said to them, why, are you, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came up to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Hmm. Why, why are you looking for me? Did you not know I would be in my father's house doing the things I'm supposed to be doing? And the answer is what? They didn't know that. Truly a faith journey. They said, Jesus, why have you treated us so? Obviously a stressed response. They had lost the son of God, which would obviously cause that. But you start to see Jesus purposely putting some distance between himself and Mary. He tells her, don't forget why I'm here. She had. In the course of fixing boo-boos, she had forgot that he is Messiah. That there's a different purpose for him. Another moment's recorded in Matthew. Turn over Matthew 13, 55 through 58. Matthew 13, 55 through 58. Talking of Jesus. There's some pages rustling, so I'm going to give you time to get there. Matthew 13, 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did he get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Ooh. And he did not do, any, do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And I want you to note something really quickly. No one is exalting Mary. In fact... They're using Mary as a reason for Jesus to be common. That obviously he's from this lady. He's just a common guy. He's not anything special even in society. He's just a carpenter's son. I mean, if there was a moment to say Mary was unique and there were some unique things about her, it's just not here, okay? It's not in Scripture. We see something else profound in this text. We see that Jesus had half-brothers and sisters, right? Presumably by Mary and Joseph. So the idea of Mary being this perpetual virgin is <laughs> just not in Scripture. It's not true. It makes no sense at all. He wouldn't have brothers and sisters if she was a perpetual virgin, okay? Let's look at another passage with regards to Mary. This is Luke 8, 19. And this one is even maybe a little bit more personal as we read through it. Luke 18, we 18, I'm sorry, Luke 8, 19 through 21. Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I mean, but can you imagine for a second, we agree that's great truth. 
But can you imagine being the son or the, the, or the mother or the brother? See, I think it would be easy to assume privilege or maybe assume that Jesus is just common because you walked beside him, right? You threw the ball together. You did the normal task of carpentry together. And in order to lead his family to salvation, he must remind them again of his purpose. And Jesus is working to redefine the relationship. And and it must have felt painful for a mom to hear a son say a statement like that. I mean, I'm not a mom, but the ones that are my mother and my brothers and my sisters are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Not you yet. Whew. Now that must have felt like a sword, amen? A.W. Tozer says this, and I love this quote, before God can use someone greatly, he must wound him deeply. See, Mary's on a journey, and Jesus is intentionally, everything he's doing with her is actually very, very loving. It may seem harsh, but it's loving because he's redefining the family's relationship for their good. See, they are sinners, and they must see Jesus as more than a brother, more than a son. And while that may seem harsh, some of the words that he's saying, he's got to do that because they need to understand the reality of the relationship, that it's different than biology. Amen? Yeah. You know, as I was pondering and meditating upon this, I think it's very similar to those who maybe grew up in church. Uh, Maybe you're kind of in your teen years now, and uh, you're familiar with Jesus. I mean, from the very first moments of your life, you've been told the stories about Christ, and uh, you've been in Sunday school, uh, you've been in church all the time. But then what kind of happens? Somewhere around those teen years, maybe a little bit before, you began to feel that separation from Christ. And you may wonder, why is that the case? Well, similar to his family, your sinfulness is caused to separation. And you must come to Christ, even though you've been raised for years in the Christian household, in the same way that the most wicked sinner must come to Christ through repentance and faith. There is no other door into heaven. But here's what happens. You should be super thankful to your parents, okay? Because your path to the cross has been pretty level, praise God. And that's a great and gracious thing. But the foot of the cross, it's level. Everybody comes to Christ through repentance and faith. And today, if you've been raised in a Christian household and you start to feel that separation and you know you need to repent because there's distance between you and the Savior, you may just know him, you don't know him as your Savior. Maybe today is that day, amen? Amen. But if you've been raised in that household, thank the Lord, man. Uh, Some of us had to walk through some deep valleys uh, and steep mountains of sin to get to that cross that's level. And we would wish we would have grew up in that household, amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus' family had to understand him as Savior. Let's turn over a few pages, if you're looking in your Bible, to Luke 11 now. Luke 11 will be verses 27 and 28. Luke 11, 27 and 28. And as he said these things, Jesus, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. 
But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I think you have an early Catholic in the crowd, right? Seriously, it sounds kind of just like them, actually. Uh, If there was any moment where Jesus was going to establish the kind of uniqueness or deity-ish of Mary, it could have been this moment, right? Yes, you're right. She is blessed. And here's the reasons why she's blessed. Let me lay out the theology of her eternal virginhood or whatever else you want to throw in there. He said it's not. Blessed rather. There's no benefit from nursing me and burying me. You've got to know me. You've got to know my word and keep it. None of the biological things make any difference for her. And this has got to cut deep. And if we're kind of, if we just had like to this point of scripture, the real question may come up, was Mary even a follower? I mean, it sounds that harsh up to this point, doesn't it? I mean, these are harsh things that we're reading. The next time, we only see Mary a few more times in the entire New Testament. Uh, She's standing at the foot of her son being crucified. And this is John, we'll look at it in John 19, 25 through 27. John 19, 25 through 27. Standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother and his were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, "Woman, behold, <laughs> call your mom woman." <laughs> A little different in today's culture. <laughs> Do not try that, Clark kids. <laughs> woman. Behold your son, talking about John. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Mary literally is turned over to John. Now, I think if you want to look for a kind of climax moment of Mary, this is kind of like everything's going to start coming downhill at this point, one way or the other. Jesus says, I'm not your son anymore. John is now Mary's Son, and Mary, you are now John's mom. And what he's doing, there's a few things here. I think he's taking care of her. He's making sure that he loves her very dearly. This is making sure that she would have a place to go to, that she would be cared for by John. But it's also creating separation. One final separation. I'm not your son anymore. This must change. The last official mission of Mary in the scripture is glorious, though. Uh, if you turn over to Acts 1, we'll look at verses 13 through 14. And when they entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Obviously, Jesus has died and been resurrected at this point. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Uh, And Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these were one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In fact, the word that's translated here, brothers, could simply mean siblings, too. So I'm not going to exclude maybe his sisters were there, too. But you see what's happened? It's truly glorious. 
His mom and his siblings are devoted themselves in prayer. Mary has moved from being a mom to a follower. We see the same is true for his father and, or I'm sorry, his sisters and his brother. That is glorious. What a great transition that has happened. They are now worshiping him. As must all who truly come to Christ. Amen. And the only other vague reference in the entire New Testament to Mary is this. And I don't have it on the screen, but it's Galatians 4, 4, and I'll just read it to you. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. She's just called a woman. And why is that? Because she's not the point. The Savior is the point. And I was trying to figure out, What would Mary say if she was able to, which she can't, make sure there's no imagery anywhere around me all of a sudden, if she was able to come into this pulpit and plead with First Baptist Geneva, what would she say to you? What would she say if she was able to go down to the Catholic church down here? I think that's a good way to put it, but I found, I think scripture, I think think that actually makes sense. John had seen these incredible things an angel had revealed to him. And in Revelation 22, verse 80 says this, And when I heard and saw them, all the things that he had experienced, he said, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And that's exactly what Mary would say. She would say, you must not do that. Worship God. I am a fellow servant with you. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. That's all the scripture today. And I've got a few things in application I want us to kind of ponder for a few moments today. Um, We'll just do question and answer time. You ready? (laughs) Was Mary sinless? No, no. Was Mary a virgin at death? No. Is a grilled cheese with Mary's image on it worth $28,000? That's not true. If I make the grilled cheese, it is worth $28,000. No, it is not. Uh, Is the image of a Mary-ish figure in a cape anywhere significant? No, in the practical sense, but the fact that somebody's seeking after things, that is significant. But I would just plead with people, Maybe this, those who are watching online, as the reverb kind of happens as it goes, listen, if you're a Catholic today and you come from that perspective, stop seeking the Lord in dry wells. He's not found there. He's found in his son, Jesus, alone. There's no other way to salvation but through Christ alone. Amen? Amen. I would ask you this, another question answer time. Does Mary possess any unique abilities to forgive sin, hear prayers, post-mortem after her death? She doesn't. She is dead, just like I will be. And uh, there are not holes in the floor of heaven, okay? I won't be listening to your conversations, okay? Um, That's not the case. Is Mary unique? Now, don't say no automatically, okay? Is Is Mary uniquely blessed and favored? Yeah. Just like you are. If you are in Christ and he's called you to purposes uh, that are higher than what your old vocation would have been. Amen. Amen. 
that you are absolutely favored and blessed in the same way. And what an honor it is. Amen? Amen. Well, the first of this message, I mentioned that it was a hope that you would see the true Mary from Scripture uh, and see her faith journey uh, through the lens of Scripture. And hopefully there's some elements of her journey that might we might share those experiences. And so I've got a few of those. I trust the Holy Spirit's putting more in your heart than I could ever do. But I just want to give you a few of those maybe to think about today. For some of us, it's simple as this. God is calling us to some specific task. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe you need to give a gift. Maybe you know you need to get married. Whatever it is, okay? You know, sure as anything, God has called you to that. Just simply respond like Mary. Count it a blessing and don't count the cost. Give it. He is worth it. And he will take care of all of your needs, right? God has got it. Proceed by faith. Be a servant of the most high like Mary. Amen? Amen. So if he's whispering and tugging upon your heart today, respond to that. Go. Amen? Amen. Amen. The second application I think that maybe our journey can connect with Mary's journey is uh, some of us, have, like Mary, have come to church with Jesus in the midst of doing the church things, we forgot where we placed him. You know, I think the exhortation, um, I think it's the church of Ephesus in Revelations, it said you've lost your first love. In the midst of doing all the, the task and the flow of church, you may have just lost him in the, that. And I would say, come back to your first love. Guess where he's found? Among his people. He's right where he should be. You're not part of a local church. I believe where there is one available, I believe that's sin. You're not connected to, not just on the fringes. Dived in, I'm a part of this. Amen. I would plead with you today, you'll find him right where he is at his father's house. Some of us like Mary, we've been familiar with Jesus all of our life. But like Mary, you're starting to feel that distance between yourself and your Savior. And today... Um, it's my prayer that the Jesus that you grew up with hearing as a child will become the Savior you worship. Respond in faith today. And remember Jesus' words. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's faith. It's simple. But it's costly. But it's simply responding in faith. And the last kind of application point I had, maybe where our lives intersect with Mary, is uh, some of us have felt the painful sword that has pierced our souls. We felt losses, maybe like Mary, it's going to be the loss of a child, um, maybe sitting around um, at Christmas looking at empty seats. You felt that. And uh, there was a weight there that you felt like you almost couldn't bear. Um, and I want to let you know, bring those wounds to Jesus today. He will meet you there. He knows where you're at. He will provide the comfort and the grace to walk day by day. And here, you're going to do that gloriously unseen most of the time with what God's plan was there. But now we accept it by faith, right? But one day we will see fully what now we see dimly. And in conclusion, the worship team, if you want to make your way up, Mary was a young lady that personally heard God's commands, responded in faith. At times it hurt. We see in the scripture sometimes she's confused. But she walked by faith day by day, becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. 
If you remember the quote I said earlier from Martin Luther, that one who wants to hear God speak should read the Holy Scripture. See, Mary does speak, but not like from the grave or like in images, but she speaks on the pages of Scripture. Amen? She speaks not with a voice or grilled cheeses. <laughs> Sorry. Don't buy mine either, okay? But with the simple example of a faithful life of hearing God and responding in faith. And that's my prayer for us today. It's that we would do that as a church. How the Lord calls you to respond today, that you would hear his hearkening and you would come and do what he says. And you would be like Mary. I am a servant of the Most High. I count this as all joy. Whatever other plans I had, Lord, dismiss them. You're worth it. And there's not a greater decision you can make. But that is what it is. It is a decision. It is a change in where you are to where you need to be. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Pastor Conrad, if you want to come forth uh, as we sing the last response song, if you need to respond.